Microphone check, one, two, what is this? It's the five foot seven assassin in the podcast business, and we're back with another episode of QLC TV. My name is Rohan, and I'm the host of this lovely show where I aim to give you authentic insight into the world of music, which will be a primary focus as it's my absolute utmost passion in the world. I just love music. I'll also be talking about politics, culture, sports as well as personal topics related to growing into adulthood. As all of this is delivered from the perspective of a 25-year-old Indian man living in Canada, trying to make sense of not only myself, but of the world. So all in all, I thank you so much for listening and taking part in this creative journey that I'm embarking on with QLC TV. And I just hope that this platform will not only give myself, but give those listening something nice to look forward to when they wake up in the morning because if i achieved that then i've succeeded hey everyone it's september 7th 2020 i'm here in the nation's capital in ottawa and i'm going to be talking about a couple of things today it'll be probably a shorter episode first i'll be discussing the recent extension of the serb benefit in canada so I'll give you details for those that don't live in Canada, but what that's about and my thoughts on the whole CERB program in light of the COVID pandemic, as well as a mindset shift that I think people should consider taking when it comes to examining where their taxpayer money goes. And then next, with the NFL season coming up, I want to give you some predictions and expect to hear more analysis and and discussion about the NFL season, as well as the NBA season as we get closer to the finals for the NBA, and as we progress through the season in the NFL. Okay, so starting with the CERB. So the CERB was a benefit that was introduced by the Liberal government in power here in Canada for $2,000 a month, and it started in April and has just been recently extended for another month and will end at the end of September. So this benefit is eligible for anybody whose employment was affected by the COVID pandemic. So this doesn't just mean if your job was completely removed and you were and you were let go. This actually even applies to people who are underemployed and getting reduced hours because of it. So for people that are even still employed but are receiving less than $1,000 in income for at least 14 days in a row during a four-week period, you are eligible to receive this $2,000 CERB benefit. And the CERB has obviously, just with any of these kind of government benefits that have been introduced due to the COVID pandemic, there's been a lot of scrutiny. From my perspective, I think this was absolutely necessary. It was a necessary aid to the thousands and thousands of Canadians who have lost their ability to provide for themselves, for their families due to the coronavirus taking away the, the use of their jobs in this during this time. Particularly those in the service industry that have been so heavily impacted due to all the bars, restaurants, and any kind of in-person services being heavily social distanced or uh, capacity reduced. And we will set aside the other really important discussion and a lot more 
difficult, I think, in my opinion, to to grapple with, and it's something that I'll be bringing likely to a future episode, is the whole idea of did we make the right decisions in introducing these lockdowns and all these social distanced um, provisions and these business closures and all of that? Was that a right call, or did we end up introducing more harm than good by trying to protect people from the coronavirus? I'll leave that aside for now and just strictly focus on if as if this was obviously what we needed to do and now we just have to talk about next steps about how to address the obvious economic implications of this pandemic. So I know there are other perspectives than mine that the CERB has gone on too long or that people have been abusing the CERB who didn't actually really need it and are now receiving free money from the government coming from people's hard-earned tax money that has gone on to subsidizing this. Now, although I sympathize with some of this, I will first just want to focus on the abuse of the system. With all government benefits, there will always be abuse of any system from government by the people. That's just how it will always be, and that's not a reasonable justification to now say, okay, because a very small portion of people are abusing it and don't actually need the benefit, we need to remove it for everybody. That's that's dumb, and there's been no stats introduced that have said this abuse of the CERB is all that significant. So moving past that to the other point I mentioned about people who are working, who are, are earning an income and have to subsidize this benefit with their hard-earned tax money. So I'm a person who's lucky enough to continue to Uh, to continue to get my full salary working full-time in a knowledge worker position that has not been affected uh, by the pandemic in that manner to where I actually lose hours, lose my employment or anything like that. Um, So I am subsidizing this benefit as well with my taxpayer money. And I think the issue with the CERB and any kind of government social safety net topics in general They come down to the way we fundamentally look at the role of government and the structure of social welfare and who should be funding this. So it comes down to who do you think should bear the most weight of this pandemic, plain and simple. I see this situation as being a classic pick-your-poison example where no option available will magically make our economic situation good again. All of these options will hurt some particular group at the end of the day. It's just a matter of which hurt do we think is the most acceptable to society. And I think when we explore this subject, we need to move past rich versus poor because that isn't a useful distinction. There's, that's way too dichotomous. We need to go a little deeper than that. So when I ask this question, the answers could be the top 1% of society should bear the burden. Should it be the wealthy but not super rich people who have not been impacted as financially uh, severe due to the them being in knowledge worker positions like myself or working in fields that are actually better suited for a virtual stay-at-home environment or finally is it just the working class people particularly those who have been affected most financially by this pandemic should they bear the most burden from the negative consequences of this pandemic my quick and dirty answer to this question is that yes it is quite clear to me 
that it should be those one percenter ownership class folks that should bear the most significant part of this burden and this is simply because they can afford to do so they will not be on the streets they will still be able to have a very high standard of living even if their taxes are increased significantly and i know when there's we're talking about any kind of topics about increasing taxes on the the richest of people people always point to job creation they're saying okay what is going to happen to the jobs what about our future job creation and i see that that argument as being very disingenuous and why i say it's disingenuous it's because you can very quickly look at the alternative option which is something along the lines of stopping the serb benefit or reducing any kind of taxes on the rich people because you know you want to stimulate job creation in the future and all that you could just say the same thing and saying okay well if all these people are evicted they can't pay for anything they have no disposable income that's not going to help the economy obviously it won't and no economist would try to tell you otherwise so neither option that we have at our disposal will magically make our economic situation good again that is not living in reality the reality is that our economic situation sucks the world economic situation sucks so let's move past finding some magic bullet solution that will somehow change reality and let's just focus again on picking our damn poison and so in my my case and in my opinion I choose to pick the poison that doesn't lead to mass eviction, starvation, that doesn't ask those in the most need to bear the largest burden. Especially when there are people who have more than what they need by a, by a mile and could afford to be taxed at a higher rate to help those people in need. Yes, this will make our economic rebound take longer. Obviously it will. But we don't have the luxury of being able to wait for all of this trickle-down economics happening with these rich job creators stimulating the economy, creating jobs so that these people could eventually go back to work. Because people have immediate needs. They need to put food on the table. So that's just the reality. We can't wait. We need to give them money now. Unless someone can point to a solution that involves helping the people's immediate needs and also helping future job growth and creation in the future, if there's a magic bullet solution there, then I really hope someone introduces it. But until now, the CERB and any kind of forms of universal basic income seem to be the only way for me. And I'll move to this now where we talk about the CERB and people's reservations about it. It makes me think about this overall mindset shift that I feel like regular people, working class people, and even somewhat wealthy people in capitalist societies should consider taking when examining how their tax money is being used. Because in my opinion, I feel like when it comes to any form of government aid, such as the CERB, I feel like these people need to look at all of their hard-earned money that is being taken from them due to taxes as not just being taken from them solely to fund all of these programs that help people in need, whether you think they are in need for justifiable reasons or not. 
your hard-earned tax dollars are also going towards helping rich people continue to hoard their wealth by contributing your tax dollars that could have otherwise been paid for by the richest people in your country. Yes, these rich people, these job creators, these owners of businesses, they deserve a lot of wealth because they worked hard and they had great ideas that benefited society. But are they 1,198 times more hardworking and valuable to society? Or how about 806 times or 2,900 times more hardworking and valuable to society compared to the working class? I use those numbers not randomly. There was an uh, article by CNN that discussed how Walmart's CEO in 2018 earned 1,198 times more than the median wage of a worker at Walmart. At Macy's, the Macy's CEO earned 806 times more than the median wage of its workers. And then at The Gap, the Gap CEO earns 2,900 times more than the median wage of the workers at Gap. So tell me, is that okay? Is that just? Do they really need all of that money? Did they really earn that much more money than everybody else, than the working class individual? I don't think so. And so lastly, I wanted to talk about another aspect of this COVID pandemic and the job loss that has really fascinated me. I'm seeing a lot of people talk about how a lot of the jobs that have been massively affected by the pandemic, particularly those in the service industry, have been rendered obsolete and that it was just a matter of time before these jobs got replaced or were rendered useless because we're progressing in society and, you know, that's just how it goes. The market doesn't want it. Therefore, these people need to be completely out of work and on the streets. I don't know about that, but that's kind of the the... That's kind of the tone that I get from these people. They're acting as if a natural progression of society. And that isn't on its face necessarily wrong. But I think that even if you think these jobs have been imp that were impacted were out of date and should have been replaced anyways, that's fine. But the solution cannot be some mass excavation and destruction of a significant sect of our population just because the jobs aren't there anymore. What we need to do instead is is mass upskill these people, invest in retraining these people into more future-friendly jobs so that they can transition into working into jobs that will be available and in demand in the future. Like I mean I know that's a really simple approach, but I just really see it as the only way. If these jobs aren't coming back, we have to help the people that had these jobs to gain new skills, and significantly invest in these people so that they can stay afloat and survive. Because isn't that the goal of societies to make sure that we're all in totality doing pretty well, we can afford the basics so that we can all live in dignity and live with respect? I feel like we need to resist this tendency that I've been, been seeing more and more of where Society seems to be valuing progress, and particularly in the 21st century context, 
technological evolution as the be-all end-all of human fulfillment and of what society deems as successful. What good is it to automate every job away and go to Mars if people are starving and can't get affordable or free healthcare? Why do we fetishize building the next great technological advancement instead of focusing on mass hunger, mass inequalities in income? Why do we focus on the wrong things is basically my question. I understand there's tons of actual benefits that can affect the common individual from space travel and all of those things. A lot of our greatest advancements have come from space exploration and all that. So I'm not somehow anti-science now. I just want to ask the question, like, have we not noticed this in the news these days? The Elon Musks of the world get applauded for random advancements random new technology that just seems so pointless it's like it solves a problem that wasn't there in the first place it makes something easier that wasn't even necessarily that hard in the first place and we applaud these people like they're doing something so amazing like they're heroes and i just don't see it that way i feel like we need to re-emphasize taking care of one another versus trying to go to mars is basically my stance and it just kind of makes me feel icky inside hearing about rich people going to mars it just ugh. anyways i really hope that they extend the serve even more just to cap off this discussion because i don't see any further reopening happening at least in my area in ottawa and canada and i don't see how it would be safe to either but We'll see. We'll see what happens. Next, I want to move on to the NFL and completely change change the tone of this episode because I'm really excited for this season. I'm happy they're giving it a go and trying to have this season because I believe this year has so many intriguing storylines. Uh, this is mainly due to the tremendous amount of player movement that has occurred over the offseason, particularly with the QBs. So starting with the GOAT, Tom Terrific, Mr. Kisses His Son on His Lips, has moved to Tampa to play with the Bucks, And that team is absolutely loaded on offense. Chris Godwin, Mike Evans are arguably the two best receivers, two best, uh, the best tandem at least when it comes to receivers in the league. And then you have Gronk returning with Brady, which should be fun. They have O.J. Howard at tight end as well. And they just signed Leonard Fournette. So they have a pretty decent crop of running backs so I think they'll be able to churn out a running game and then their defense was actually ranked pretty high they 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 were they were quietly having a good year last year it was just due to Jameis Winston's just crazy amount of picks that they had they didn't make the playoffs they actually had a pretty good year so I know that Brady isn't in his peak and it's funny that I mentioned Brady without mentioning that I have rooted against this man for the entirety of my NFL watching career, which started in 2007, and which, funny enough, started at his 16-0 year. And I hate this. I want him to lose every game. I want him to throw a pick every single time he throws the ball. But 
it truly is a, an honor and a pleasure to watch this guy play and root against him because he's so amazing. It gives me a lot to hate, honestly. He destroyed my guy, Peyton Manning's, uh, many chances at championships because he just is a stone-cold killer. So that aside, I understand that Brady isn't in his peak, but I have to acknowledge that I still think he has another year or two left. Uh, I expect him to play as a bottom-tier, bottom-top-10 QB, which would be a huge improvement over Winston last year. So I expect them to do some big things, and I'll talk about where I see the NFL standings at the end of this year being at the end of this episode, along with my final predictions and and Super Bowl picks. But then we also have, going back to the QB movement topic, we have Phil Rivers joining the Colts, and I think this will revitalize his career a little bit because he had a bad last year, but he didn't have a lot of help. He, again, it's the Chargers, so they have like a hundred injuries every year uh but this Colts O-line is arguably the best in the league and I think this will give Rivers the best protection he's ever had in his career and I think the weapons are solid enough that he should have a bounce back year for sure uh then we have the Cam Bill Belichick relationship in New England I think that'll be really interesting I like Cam so I hope this works but man he has nothing to work with the weapons are just as bad as they were last year for Brady, except now the O-line has been hit with some COVID opt-outs, and the defense is just been ravaged with the COVID opt-outs. At least four of their best players have all opted out, including Donta Hightower, uh, I think Patrick Chung as well. It's They're in trouble. They are in trouble. So if they even have a winning record, I think that will be a huge testament to both Cam and Bill Belichick's abilities and their leadership skills. And some other new QB situations that are really interesting to me are are the Teddy Bridgewater getting a second chance with the Panthers. That'll be fascinating. And then just seeing how the Super Bowl teams fare will be really interesting. I'm curious to see if Jimmy G can make amends for that subpar ending that he had to last season. I thought he actually flashed some top 10, top 15 abilities as a QB, but he'll have to show this growth uh, with lesser weapons now because Emmanuel Sanders was a great receiver for him, was gone, and Devo Samuel, who showed a ton of promise last year, will miss the start of the year. And some other key storylines I see is Will the Broncos, this sexy, dark horse pick that a lot of analysts have been choosing, will they actually fulfill the the potential they have with the now full-time starter Drew Locke and actually create a contender? Will the Browns finally make a playoff push and actually make the playoffs for the first time since the 90s? And with all that talent, Baker Mayfield, will he actually show that he's a good QB or is he just not a good QB? I'll add some color to these thoughts by going through now my predictions for the standings for each conference. So I'll start with the NFC. Out of the NFC, it's interesting because there's a bunch of really good teams, but all of these teams have major question marks still. When it comes to the Saints, I think Breeze has begun regressing much more than people think. He's still very accurate in the short to medium term throws, but 
he really doesn't have a deep ball anymore, and he doesn't even try all that often. But that being said, they're still the most complete team in the NFC, especially since they acquired Emmanuel Sanders from the Niners, who will now finally give Breeze a solid number two option behind Michael Thomas. Uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks, they have a ton of potential. This offense looks lethal, but they have a lot of moving parts, especially given the the compromised offseason. I expect them to start slow. The Seahawks have Russell Wilson. He's a, always a bubble MVP candidate, but they have a very weak pass rush and a 19th century offensive philosophy that continues to limit the greatness of of this future Hall of Famer, Russell Wilson. The Packers still have a lack of weapons. They didn't address that at all. Outside of Devontae Adams and, and Adam Jones, I think they'll require a vintage Rodgers performance to actually truly contend for a Super Bowl. The 49ers, I think, are going to struggle a bit on offense this time this year. They'll still be able to run the ball well, but Jimmy G does not have a lot to throw to, and I think that'll be a problem. The Eagles lack the consistency and still don't have enough offensive weapons. The Cowboys have the best offense they've ever had in the Dak era, but they have a a limited defense. They are not elite on defense, and we'll see how Mike McCarthy and Dak mesh. Again, the COVID-compromised offseason is huge for these teams that have a lot of moving pieces that don't have a lot of continuity from the past year. Therefore, I think it's wide open in the nfc but i think the saints get the first seed and therefore the nfc south crown at a record of 12 and 4 and i think therefore the bucks don't win the division but get a close second at 11 and 5 and nab one of the wild card spots i see the seahawks winning a very tough nfc west at 11 and 5 and i see the 49ers taking a bit of a step back and going 10 and 6 I see the Packers winning their division, but again, in a way that doesn't impress uh, with a very mediocre record of 10 and 6. And then I see the Cowboys appearing as actual real contenders and nabbing the second seed of the NFC conference with a 12 and 4 record. I see their offense lighting it up. Amari Cooper coming back this year. They have CeeDee Lamb, rookie that looks really promising. They still have Zeke and a very good offensive line. I think if the defense can just do the bare minimum, I think they have a really good chance at winning a lot of games this year. Lastly, due to the new NFL playoff format where they've introduced a new third wildcard spot, I assume that the Eagles will grab that. They'll have another scrappy year. They'll be a little inconsistent, but I think overall they have the talent to get it done and have that seventh spot. And now moving to the AFC side here. I see the Chiefs returning with all of their key pieces, a lot of continuity. I expect them to roll. I see them going 14-2 and two and the number one seed. I see staying in the, the AFC West now. The Broncos, I do think, make the playoffs, but just barely and grab that last wild card with a 9-7 and seven record. I think Drew Locke is actually the real deal. But I think he's a bit erratic at times, and I think that'll be the kind of their limitations. His mistakes will be their undoing. I expect the Ravens from the AFC North to, to win their division comfortably at 13-3. and I think Lamar will progress even more as a passer. But I think their defense will take a slight step back 
um, and that might be a problem against a team like the Chiefs. The Browns, I believe, will finally make good on their potential and will get a wild card spot at 10 and 6, meaning I think the Steelers actually miss the playoffs. I think they'll be slightly better than last year, but I think they really do have a lack of firepower and explosiveness on offense. And Big Ben, I'm really curious to see how much he's aged. He does not, he has not been someone who's taken good care of his body. And I think he will not have the year that I think some people are expecting. Moving to the AFC East, I think the Bills will win this one comfortably at 10 and 6. I see the Pats not making the playoffs and but I'll I'll kind of get to that a little bit later in my predictions at the end of this. Moving to the AFC South, I see the Texans actually being a, a bit better than people expected. They lost DeAndre Hopkins, but they do have David Johnson in the backfield who should be pretty solid. And they got Brandon Cooks to go along with their three to four very solid receivers. I think Deshaun Watson can make magic with anything. And I think they will take the AFC South crown. I think the Colts with the Rivers having a resurgent campaign and a good enough defense. I think the Colts just edge out that seventh and last wildcard spot. So to conclude in the AFC, I got... The Chiefs at number one, Ravens at number two, I have the Texans at three, Bills at four, I think the Broncos get one of the wild card spots along with the Browns and the Colts. So now I'll move into my predictions. Some are bold, some are just regular old predictions. First prediction, which I think is very bold, is that the NFL season will actually be completed in full. Like, I think at this point they have the COVID situation under control, but I think that will get troubling and get a little more dangerous once they start traveling because they've been kind of in pseudo bubbles during training camp at the moment. But I think if we can get 14 to 15 games out of the 16 with the major stars playing for the most part for each team, that would be a huge success. And... Honestly, I don't really know how this will be possible. I don't see how there won't be more outbreaks than what I'm describing here. But honestly, I've come to accept the simple fact that in the United States, they just have a very different and larger threshold for mayhem when it comes to this COVID pandemic. So I think they'll give this season a very long leash, despite, I think, concerns from the medical community and the overall news media. My second prediction is I think the Broncos will make the playoffs, as I mentioned earlier. I think Drew Locke will have a very explosive year in both positives and negatives. I think he will potentially throw for close to 25, 30 touchdowns, but will have quite a bit of interceptions. But I think overall they have some really good running backs. Melvin Gordon, Phillip Lindsay, Royce Freeman, good young receiving core pretty good tight ends and the defense should be should be better than it was last year second year under Vic Fangio so I think they're a team to watch they could make a lot of noise if if Locke can can curb the the mistakes so my third prediction is Kyler Murray is a bubble MVP candidate people don't talk about Kyler Murray that much because he plays in Arizona but now that they have DeAndre Hopkins returning 
continuity with the coach in his second year. The second year is often the year that these players pop. These really talented rookies pop in their second year. Talking Wentz, Mahomes, uh, Lamar Jackson are all recent examples. I see I see Kyler Murray having a great year. This guy can is incredibly accurate, an incredibly strong arm. His running ability and elusiveness is unbelievable. He's so agile. I, he's been amazing. He, he had an amazing year, even though the stats don't show it, because he had a pretty weak team around him. But I think the team still will struggle on defense, but I think you're going to see the Cardinals in a lot of exciting shootouts this year. And I think he's going to put up some really great numbers with the addition of DeAndre Hopkins. So I see him as being a legit MVP candidate. My fourth prediction relates to the GOAT. And I think Brady's going to throw for over 35 TDs and over 4,500 yards and will be a bubble MVP candidate himself. I just see his red zone targets being incredible. His deep threats being incredible. I still think Brady can throw an, an, a good enough deep ball. And I just think he has too much to work with. Even if he has regressed, he's still good enough. And the, the weapons are insane. So I think he's going to have a really great year. But moving on to my next prediction, I say Patrick Mahomes is the MVP. And Offensive Player of the Year. The continuity, all of the pieces being there, other than... Duvernay Tardif losing or they them losing him because him opting out for this season may be a problem in protection. He he's destined to have another great year. He's the best QB potentially we've ever seen. So I, I don't see how anything can stop him this year. Okay, now it's time for my Super Bowl picks. Okay, so out of the NFC I have the Saints making it to the Super Bowl. How they do it is I see them winning the NFC Championship against the Cowboys. Now, I know that's a bit surprising. The Cowboys have been, historically over the past 20 years, complete flops. But I do think Mike McCarthy will add some really necessary stability and professionalism and winning pedigree that Jason Garrett never had. And I think that will allow them to take a step forward here. And that offense, again, is going to be lethal this year. But I still think the Saints are the most complete team. And I think Breeze will continue his trajectory of kind of being a bottom 10, top 10 QB, maybe even a little lower than that this year. But I think the weapons around him are a little better. I think... The defense is consistently good. And I think this will be a year where the team kind of rallies around Breeze and finally gets him to his second Super Bowl. He's been so close over the past three, four years, but I think this will be the year that he gets there. And that means that I don't even see the Bucks making it to the championship game at all. I see the Bucks starting kind of slow, but then they really turn it on. They become the favorites out of the NFC, even though they're at 11-5, and five, not the best record. I see people picking the Bucks, pointing to Brady's playoff pedigree as being the key reason, and those are all fine reasons. But I just see this year not working for them. I see them kind of having an upset loss in the first round of their playoffs and, and going one and done. 
So moving on to the AFC now, I see the Chiefs hosting the Ravens in the AFC Championship game and ultimately beating them and going to the Super Bowl themselves. I think the Ravens will have another great year. I think Lamar will be an even better passer, but I don't think it's enough. I think the Chiefs had a quietly good end to the year defensively, and I see that continuing with Tyron Matthew returning, Chris Jones being locked up long-term. So I see the Chiefs making it to the Super Bowl. Now, who is my championship pick? I think the Saints are still the more complete team, given that their defense is superior to the Chiefs. But I think this is Mahomes' time. I think he's already a legend in the making, and I see Breeze being the reason that they do not beat the Chiefs here. I see this game being very close. I see in my crystal ball the Chiefs kind of having an explosive second half, and I just don't see the that Breeze can, can answer to Mahomes, and I think... He will kind of falter towards the end, and they'll lose a close game. If I had to choose a score, I'd say the Chiefs win 28-21. to 21. Overall, I think this year is going to be amazing. I'm so excited. There's, again, so many storylines. there. I've never seen player movement like this in my entire life as a fan of the NFL. And I just pray to God that the season happens and, and goes in full. The, the NBA season alone, this bubble season, has been such a pleasure to watch, being kind of pseudo-quarantined, not really being able to do too much outside. It's been a real pleasure, so I hope the NFL can deliver as well. And so I hope you enjoyed that. I'll be doing some more sports talk, like I mentioned earlier, as the NFL season progresses, as well as I will be doing an episode that will touch on the NBA playoffs, I'm going to probably do that in a couple weeks once I get to the conference finals and I can make my NBA finals picks. But yeah, expect some more sports talk sprinkled into the show as we as we progress through the seasons. So that concludes what I wanted to talk about in today's episode. Thank you everybody for listening. I really appreciate the support. I love doing this and I can't wait to continue doing more of these episodes of QLC TV moving forward. If you want to follow me, support the podcast, Please subscribe on all the podcast channels that you use, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and so on. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter, at Rowview, so that's R-O-H-V-I-E-W, and shoot me a comment, send me a DM, and feel free to suggest whatever topic you think I should cover, whether it be some political discussion, music, etc., or if you just wanted to send me some feedback about something that you think I should improve on or consider changing as it relates to the show. I'm definitely all ears. I wanted to start this podcast to to help myself grow, help myself uh, express myself more efficiently, more concisely, more effectively. So I'm always open to anything that I should improve on, whether it be about how I deliver the show or just to criticize some horrible take that I had. I'm all ears. And I'd like to extend an open invitation to anybody who's listening right now who would like to join me in a discussion on any topic of your liking. Just shoot me a DM, post a comment, and I would love to do that because I want to connect with you guys who are listening as much as I can and foster a community. So thank you once again for listening. Peace.